Hello and welcome to our Takashi Miike month recap number two. Thank you to tonight's house band, The Nutty Brass. Ten points if you can guess which Misfits track they were covering tonight. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is my co-host, the Professor Miss Stephen Palmer. Hello. On this show, if you didn't listen to our previous recap, we are going to be going through the Mike movies that I've watched this week, as I aim to watch 30 Mike movies by the end of the month. And uh, yes, it's been another packed month, week. No, what did I say month for? We're not at the end of this yet. Um, as we are currently at the time you're, recording you're this a, you're 10 days. You're a third days. of the way through, mate. <laughs> so, yeah, we've crossed off 10 movies so far. So, it's going well so far. Um, although I'm I'm discovering that I have limits, which is something that's always a bit of a crushing blow. You think that you just like you got you can end this energy and you can do anything, all these like projects and everything in one's place, and then you watch Japanese movies every single day and you realize that nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like your bank balance. Not quite as much potential there as we thought. <laughs> uh, but just to quickly recap what we talked about last time, we've so far covered Audition, Rainy Dog, As the Gods Will, Ace Attorney, and Dead or Alive. So, kicking off our next block, we started off with a film that was heavily booed at Cannes, uh, but also a situation which gave us one of like one of the best pieces of writing I've read all week. Um, but um, we start off with Shield of Straw, which I think I remember you saying that you enjoyed, Stephen, despite the fact that people at Khan don't. Yeah, I think... Um, and we, had, we had a little discussion about this with David. We did, because... On, um, on Facebook, because uh, um, David was there at Khan. Yeah, David, <laughs> he just casually drops this into conversation. It's like, oh yeah, I was at Khan. And I'm thinking, last time yeah. I was at Cannes, I was doing promo stuff with Troma, which isn't a which isn't a glamorous way to spend your summer vacation. <laughs> well, I've never even been to Cannes, so you both beat me. But uh, um, yeah, no, it's I kind of like Shield of Straw. I think it, it, it's a little overlong, but there's a couple of nice set yeah. pieces. Um, it's got the lady from the Ring in it. Um, it's got exactly the same plot as about a zillion TV shows and films. <laughs> it reminded me of SWAT. Yeah, it's, it's there's an episode in the first series of Starskin Hutch, exactly the same I've story. You said that you know. to me as well. It's like... <laughs> yeah, it's just it's you know it, it's it's not terribly original, um, and I think the, the, the reason I think people at Khan didn't like it is because there's the, the sort of two worlds to Mikay. One is his his work for hire stuff which is just for the Japanese box office. It's live action manga adaptations and doing other people's quite, quite a bunch of quite straight normalish films. Sometimes he throws in a little bit of weirdness, but on the whole, he'll just, he'll just make a film for a film studio and it'll, it'll be perfectly fine. And those sorts of films don't normally make it into film festivals. Um, so you know, and and Mike at this time was this enfant terrible, oh God, enfant terrible yep. type. Of, I got it out of my mouth eventually. Type of character, you know, audition and the happiness of the Katakuris and um, Ichi the Killer and oh, what other sort of wild stuff is he going to do? And what they bought was a really straightforward police thriller, 
with no bells and whistles and it, you know it's as but and, and because it's a japanese film on a japanese budget it isn't as flashy as as a western film would be in that style and, and i think that's why people booed it because they didn't really understand what they were watching and uh, you know think of the audience as well personally i think it's fine saying that i haven't watched it since then but i always felt it's got a bit of there's some real shit in Mike's back catalogue and this isn't this is middle of the road stuff this is this is in the top 50 (laughs) i'm just going to read the uh quotes that was on mostly film and in regards to the whole situation it was like and uh, basically goes, At the Cannes Film Festival last month, you could see and hear, thanks to some conspicuous booing, the breakdown of the love in between Western critics and Japanese director Takashi Miike. As his latest fellow Shield of Straw got very short shrift indeed. Does this mark the end of Miike's career as the go-to director for Asian weirdness? I suppose it depends on whether you trust the judgment of the sort of wankers who think that yelling at projected images will improve them. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I am fully aware that a lot of Khan isn't about odd and weird and art house. A lot of it is about selling, just just selling yeah. stuff to different markets. Yeah, and there's a whereas this this this, this crowd, obviously, film critics were. Obvi- I mean, honestly, who does that? Well, we talked. I've had people walk out. Yeah, <laughs> but you'd walk out if you don't enjoy it. Don't boo the screen, honestly. Well, we had this uh, when we talked about um, Ogja. Because when they showed it mm. at Cannes, it came with the Netflix logo, and they all booed that, and then the film was out of focus. So they had to restart it, and of course the Netflix logo appears again, and they boo even louder. <laughs> so, yeah, um, they got very, very, very precious. I mean, they're, they're very precious about the French film industry, and they're very precious about... And that includes the, the cinemas, and obviously what Netflix and, and Amazon and others have started doing is taking audiences away from that which is why they did it for Okja however the human malware from the last two years has um, possibly strengthened Netflix's hands but I think they ban Netflix produced movies haven't they from Cannes I think so and I think it's because there's people like Scorsese and sort of like the old guard of the new Hollywood who are basically got their very sort of set ideals of what movies are and how movies should be seen. And I think this is... The, unfortunately, Khan seems to follow um, a lot of the whims didn't, of these sort of directors. Didn't Scorsese take the Netflix dollar, though? He did, because they allowed him the to make The Irishman, um, which essentially is three movies in one. <laughs> I, haven't got time for, I haven't got time in my life to watch that. I keep saying, um, like, <laughs> when I go on holiday, I'm going to watch it, but I never do. If if someone said to me, "Oh my God, it's fantastic! You must watch," yeah, it, I would. No one has ever said that to me. You know, I'm I'm happy with Goodfellas, mate. Um, but no, she destroyed. I enjoyed it. Um, what it is, well, obviously you've got this child killer who's turns himself into the police because the grandfather of one of his victims offers a billion dollar reward for his for anyone who kills him, and this obviously creates a situation where the police are trying to get him across town uh, to this other station and they got to deal with 
the fact that they can't trust anyone within the unit because there may be people who've got their own agendas to sort of claim the reward. Anyone on the street potentially could be trying to claim the reward as well. And as you said, there's some really nice set pieces in here. We got a destruction derby for the, with a nitroglycerine truck. We got a great um, standoff on a train, which is um, a lot of fun. And they tried to shoot this in Japan, but they couldn't get um, the permission from the train services. They actually went over to Taiwan and uh, shot the train sequences over there. So, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, but I think I think also, if I remember from what I saw you'd written, you, you also thought it was a little over long. Yeah, um, it's. And I, I I would point that at quite a lot of <coughs> UK. Um more standard works always feel 20 minutes to half an hour too long they're always just pushing two hours when they're an hour and a half film um there's another one in your list tonight that i feel very similar about. it's a bit of a recurring <laughs> theme you're probably going to find over the yeah. christmas month where we're finding movies that are like that 20 minutes too long and yeah. if they had been cut down it would like to blow the back of your head off um yeah. but unfortunately it, it didn't so but no I, no, I enjoyed this. I mean, it's worth a rental, definitely. I'm not sure it's yeah. like worth clearing space in your Mika collection to add it, but it's certainly worth a rental at least. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a rent rather than buy. You're saying that I have bought it and it is somewhere, but I've I've never unwrapped it after watching it. I think I can't remember how I even saw it, probably a review copy or something. Mm. But um, yeah, it's nice, nice. I yeah, I'll, I'll stick up for it. I know there are others that won't, and. Uh, Obviously, David's such a nice guy, we didn't really have an argument on Facebook. <laughs> we had an agreement. <laughs> yeah, David, was, I think, was very much of the idea that, you know, it shouldn't have been shown for Khan. It, w- it know, was more... I absolutely agree. It was too much of yeah. like a summer blockbuster type movie. Well, it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have been put into competition, is, is, is this point. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely agree. And... Like, this is the thing with David. He's he's so diplomatic compared to like myself, who just like, <laughs> like blows it in there with, like this blustering uh, titan. I just like just go in there and just like, what do you mean? They don't agree with me. Just go kicking over chairs and storming around, flustering. Uh, next up, we had uh, one of my personal favorites, uh, Sukiyaka e Western Django. Which is uh, Japan's entry into the Eastern genre, Eastern Western genre, should I say? Um, and a film which interestingly came out of his cameo that he put in for Hostel, uh, because he obviously puts in a cameo as a client there, and his cameo was actually so good that um, Tarantino, you know, decided he wasn't going to do his own cameo because he was going to play the American in in the spa. Uh, that uh, Jay obviously has the conversation with, and if, as you said, he felt it too much like all oh, these violent directors turning up at this place. It's sort of like, wow, Mike, tell me about this place. This is awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, Mike, you see on the extras hostel, he sort of like says he like off. It's like you should come to Japan and we will make a film together. And I don't know what happened to that invite because only Tarantino shows up as the gunslinger Ringo who provides the introduction and turns up later in old man makeup but the the actual eastern westerns I mean they've been going on since like the 60s with like things like the fort of death where you would have 
like this combination of samurai western imagery uh combining here but i've always enjoyed the eastern westerns such as like you know let the bullets fly or the good the bad and the weird and certainly in, in this one which is also mikay's first movie to be shot in english but it's with actors who don't actually for the most part speak english so everything's written i think phonetically right it's the same way jackie chan speaks english yeah which can be a little jarring, but it's probably a bit, a lot better than a lot of the hack dub jobs we've seen over the years. <laughs> uh, have you seen this one? I don't know. I have. Oh seen wow, this. you're in for a treat. Um, I actually, well, I actually, again, I literally have a DVD, a review DVD, <laughs> yeah. which I have had since this came out, that I have never slotted into the DVD player, and I don't know why. Um, Weird, isn't it? <laughs> of all the, all the films I've watched, and I've got I've literally got this one to watch, and I, I never have. Maybe maybe I'll be inspired to do so because I like I I like a bit of an eastern western myself as well. Um, you know, uh, the, the things like Good, the Bad, the Weird, a rollicking good time, yeah. and 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 our our second episode, Tears of the Black Tiger, <laughs> oh, the eastern western, wasn't it? The Good, the Bad, um, and the Fabulous. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like, so yeah, um, still stands up then. Oh, definitely. So I mean, this is very similar to your Jimbo in many ways. If you've got the unnamed gunslinger who rides into this village, where um, there's a bu- a bunch of treasure that's been hidden somewhere within the village, and on either side you've got the two warring gangs. You've got the Genji, who are like um, very sort of like traditional samurai. They dress in white and. Their leader, uh, Yoshitomi, he basically quotes all the samurai philosophy, though they were like samurai swords. And then on the other side, you've got the um, Hiki, who are dressed in red and uh, led by Kiro Mori, who has decided that he's going to take his inspiration from Shakespeare's Henry VI. And um, he compares his war to the War of the Roses because, you know, they're dressed in white, we're dressed in red, and he even goes as far as changing his name to Henry to sort of back up his cause. Um, This is just completely madcap, sort of like Western sort of nonsense. It's not like a Sergio Leone. I think it's got more in touch with like a Kobuchi sort of Western. Uh, there's a scene where Henry's got like the big Gatling gun, and to make himself bulletproof, he like puts his underlings in front of him in a line to have like six guys mm-hmm. in front of him. But he keeps trying to find like bigger, more portly henchmen to like provide more bullet <laughs> stopping power. <laughs> so yeah, you see these like six guys in front of him, and then they suddenly dive out of the way, and he's there with a the big Gatling gun. It's really good. Um, yeah, it's funny because I mean he's obviously Mickey's here borrowing elements of like. The spaghetti westerns like the Ilion, the Kabuchi, and at the same time he also borrows from like the acid westerns of like Jawowski, in particular things like El Topo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it this sort of melting pot and you know Mike's usual flair for the randomness that just really brings it all together into this really fun action romp. Really, it's um, well worth checking out. And I indeed I will. Good. Uh, next up, we had Zebra Man, which is Mikkei's take on the superhero genre from 2004. 
Um, or as I would say, zebra man, but you know, potato, potato. <laughs> this is going to be like when it, my, my wife comes and says it because I, my kids watch like the American dubs like Lil Einsteins and whatnot, and they, yeah. zebra, was it zebra or zabra? <laughs> what, how do you pronounce yeah, it? Said, I've always said zebra. zebra. But it might be zebra. I think one's the American pronunciation, it, yeah. so. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, whatever. Carry okay. On. Well, this one sees Sho Ekoa, who's uh, obviously a reoccurring player within the Mike canon, who has a pretty crappy home life. His uh, daughter's dating older men, his wife's cheating on him, his son's ashamed of him because he's a teacher at his school, and he's just. All the other kids are like bully his son because of um, him being the teacher. And he escapes this humdrum life by dressing him as. Uh, I can't even pronounce it now. <laughs> Zebra Man, um, who's the star of his favourite like 1970s Tokusatsu series so he's got his uh, his suit and he sets out to like become a costume vigilante only to discover that by wearing the suit he's inherited all the Zebraman powers uh, which is just real handy because it's just in time for a race of slimy aliens to start taking over the population um, yeah I mean this one starts off fun but it gets really bogged down in sort of like angst and a pretty directionless plot um, now there is a sequel um, Zebra Man 2 Attack on Z- Zebra City I'm really not going to be able to do this now um, <laughs> I'm leaving you to <laughs> yeah which I've heard from the guys over at Asian Cinema Takeout that um, it's a completely different beast so yeah I, I the only thing I remember about Zebra Man or Zebra Man <laughs> Is it's one of the first films I imported, and what arrived was a DVD R that had clearly <laughs> been pressed somewhere, and and with a sticker, a literally a sticker on it, from I don't know, I must have got it from Hong Kong or somewhere like that, and it was a fairly murky image, and I remember feeling pretty bored by it. And I've never gone back to to look again, and I was very surprised when years later. He, he had the sequel. Um, it's one of those things. What's, what's the other film where he goes and looks at um, Tokusatsu movies? Oh, crikey. Oh, um, you're talking about Yataman? Yataman. I love yeah. Yataman. Um, but I just remember being, from, from what I remember, I remember being incredibly bored by Zebra Man. And. Maybe I'll go back and investigate, but it doesn't sound to me that you were overly um, enamoured by it. No, I didn't really get into it. And it's a shame, really, because there's some interesting ideas there. There's like a scene where he fights a serial killer who welds dual scissors and wears a crab mask. And I thought, oh, great, we're going to have these sort of fun sort of romps. But it just becomes so bogged down in its own ploddingness um, that I just sort of struggled with yeah. it. And you can get, you know, and, and whereas Yataman's a bunch of fun, and then there's other similar things like Cutie Honey and stuff like that, sort of live action sort of riffs on this whole Saturday morning TV dress up stuff that are just just much more entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then, yes, I, 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 just, I just remember being bored by it, but that was a long time ago. Okay. Uh, next up, we had Dead or Alive 2 Birds, uh, the sequel to Dead or Alive in. Essentially name only, as this is a trilogy of reoccurring actors and themes, uh, rather than 
know, plot lines. And it uh, once again reunites uh, Takeuchi and Ekawara, who uh, previously were playing Cop and Yakuza respectively. And this time they play a pair of hitmen who get um, caught up in pulling the same hit on a uh, Yakuza boss because... Um, the city they're in is in the midst of a gang war between the Yakuza and Triads, and Akawara's character has been basically hired to take out this boss to stir up trouble so that uh, the two gangs will basically eliminate themselves and enable this third gang to take control. Um, but unfortunately, Takeuchi's uh, character pulls off the hit first, and in pursuit of him, um, he finds out that it's actually his friend from childhood, with the pair returning to the island where they grew up as orphans, and enjoying a gay old time reminiscing while life goes to hell back on the mainland as uh, Yakuza and Triads engage in bloody battle. Um, with uh, the final act of the film seeing the pair teaming up to essentially clean house as they take out both gangs and use the money from the hits they raise to send it to Africa to play for clean water medicine in probably one of the more nonsensical plots well it sounds more sensical than the end of their life <laughs> I've never seen this one I've never seen this I one think either. you'd like this one because it's I have, I have, I have it. Obviously, I've got the <laughs> Dead or Alive trilogy. Set. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I probably, I probably will. It does sound a bit like. Um, what was the film that we watched? A similar plot. It was a Chow Yun Fat one, was it? Where the halfway through the f- oh, it was Moment of Romance, wasn't it? Oh, right. where, where he gets sent off, gets sent off to to see his grandma on an island somewhere, and they go in two lovey dovey while all the world goes to shit. This sounds like a more extreme version of that. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird weird film because you obviously have this Yakuza movie that sort of provides the bookends this film, and then in between you've got this sort of slice of life sort of uh, drama with these friends reuniting, they catch up with like another other childhood friends who's become like a fisherman and he's married another a girl from the island and the pair basically spend a lot of time messing around and playing football and engaging in childish games and reminiscing about time on the island um including a really bizarre scene where they put on a nativity story style play um which is just weird to say the least involving a robot a bee and the little brown boy, which I was like, you can't do that over here. <laughs> As it's someone very clearly painted brown in a very sort of stereotypical tribal get-up. Um, I have still no Ooh. idea, but the villagers seem to think this is absolutely gangbusters, this play they're putting on. <laughs> something about a lonely Ooh. lion and... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> do they sing the lion sleeps No, tonight? unfortunately not. It... <laughs> This film did also um, just feature a scene set at Christmas, which made me want to like start making a list of like every time we see an Asian movie with Christmas in it, because we've had a couple now. Because we had this and we yeah, had Tokyo Godfathers, not... and yeah, it, obviously, it, it's yeah they sort of do celebrate Christmas. Certainly in Hong Kong and Japan, I know that they do, but in a weird kind of for half a day and half a day only. You know, they, they have all the build up yeah. and the shopping. You know, the shopping starts even earlier than it does here in the West. I've been in Hong Kong in, like, September, and the Christmas decos have been out. But by all accounts, by um, after lunch is done, after you've had your KFC, 
which is the, the Japanese do love a KFC on for Christmas lunch. Um, all the decorations are put away and, and it's on to the next thing. <laughs> it doesn't drag on for another 12 days like it does here. But yes, yeah, so that would be... Uh, we could do a spotter's badge for Christmas in, in Asian movies because it, it does happen occasionally. Yeah. And then rounding off this uh, recap, we have For Love's Sake from 2012, which I believe is one of your favourites. Oh, I bloody love For Love's Sake. <laughs> I'm fascinated to know what you've yeah. about it. I had the onset of a code, so there's parts of this I have really no clue what was supposed to be going on. But um, here we see Mike essentially giving us his version of High School Musical as he takes his second stab at doing a musical. And this is an adaptation of the manga A to Makato. Which has previously been turned into a TV series as a radio play. There was three film adaptations that were released on consecutive years uh, for like 74, 75, 76. They, they just really loved it, so it's sort of like just release it on a yearly basis. Um, and yeah, it's it's uh, got many interesting things going on here. You've got a, a romance that uh, spans the classes. You've got baseball bat welding schoolgirls. You've got spontaneous musical sequences. Um, and a whole lot of brawling. Um, because I'll... Yeah, I'd say it's more West Side Story than High School Musical, but absolutely, I get I get yeah. I, I just I love this. From the feral schoolgirls to some of the songs are just amazing. And, and there's this whole thing. There's a bit of animation that put getting in there. One of them, if I remember rightly, the skiing skiing trip or skiing. Yeah, accident. you like that, that animation because and... um, basically, um, I who's this well-to-do girl. Uh, her family is very sort of affluent in in Japan. Um, she's skiing and she bumps into uh, Makoto and ends up giving him this huge scar, which. Later in life, whenever anyone mentions it to him, he sends him into like a super violent rage. Um, and they bump into each other later in life when they're, they're teenagers. He's busy brawling with like this street gang, and she's hanging out on the street around a like a hobo fire with her friends. No idea why, but she's there. And um, while he's trying to run away from the police, uh, she wraps herself around his leg. Um, after trying to break up a, a fight he was involved in, and it ends up um, resulting in him being beaten up by the riot police. And she feels that, you know, she can redeem him, so she arranges with her father to have him sent to this prestigious prep school she attends, which unsurprisingly ends in absolute disaster. And he ends up being sent to this trade school, which is just covered in rubble, there's garbage everywhere, there's school gangs run everything. And she decides to transfer over there as well. Despite the fact he has no interest in her whatsoever. It's completely unrequited for like three quarters of this movie. Um, and in the turn she ends up self, finding herself competing with one of the girls. Of the girl gang leaders, uh, Yuki. Um, but yeah, this weird musical numbers. Which characters will burst into song. And other characters will look on with a look of amusement and confusion. So it's got a weird yeah, I, it's it's a it's a weird thing. It's contemporaneous, I think, with Sion Sono's Tokyo Tribe. They both yeah. came out in a similar time frame, sort of early early twenty tens. Um, and to my mind, this is 
this is Mike at his most playful and maybe a playful he hasn't been for quite a long time um, yes he sort of tried to be it's things like uh, Yakuza Apocalypse tries to be playful um, the Mole Song films probably are the, are the other films that that has a little bit of I don't know. I just see. I, I just see a little twinkle in his eye when he's making them, and and they're just outrageous and silly. And I love. This. And one of the songs I absolutely adore. It's one of the songs a girl sings on her own quite early. Oh, is that the one she's at the school? Saying, and it remi- at the school, sitting down by a yeah, tree yeah, or something it like it that. I just of, remember um, that whole musical sequence in *Penguin's Memories*. Where um, yes. his girlfriend like comes along, and it's sort of like this sound of music moment, and it's sort of like da 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 da. It's just a lovely song. If you can find it on YouTube, please do. But I, I I really like this movie, although I do find it a really odd one that's come across with a with a a DVD over here. Um, it's third window, I think. I yes, it is third window. Who uh, handled this one? Yeah. Who, who don't do a lot of Mike films. So, yeah, really, really unusual. Um, so normally they handle Sion Sono stuff. But there is, there's, I don't know, it's just, it's a lovely little film. But, again, I think it's 20 minutes too long <laughs> um, as well. Um, but, yeah, there's a playfulness to it, which we sometimes forget about. BK, you know, everyone goes, oh, audition, or Itchy the Killer, or... Yeah, they get caught up in a lot of the outlaw period, don't they? Yeah, or or, or even just the sort of the grim stuff. Um, Even even when it's it's more comedic, it's it's all that food of the new generation, things like that. Yeah, you're right, the sort of the outlaw period stuff. And he does do, you know, like Ace Attorney. Yeah. He does some fantastic works for hire stuff, as well as the stuff which isn't isn't so good. Um, but yeah, there's the little subset. I mean, this was a film I was I was maybe thinking of bringing to okay. the main show. Obviously, I won't for a while to give you a uh, going to give you a Miko rest <laughs> for a while. But this is this is on my list to to bring back and talk about. So it's probably of the film of the ten you've done so far. I think it's my okay. favourite, and, that, and that's saying something. I know because auditions here. Yeah, I put this one very much in the same sort of like plateau as uh, Yataman. I think Yataman's got the same sort of playfulness mm. to to it, and the fight scenes in this are just really fantastic. Like the scene where he's taken on the whole tribe of of uh, bat welding girls at the bowling alley, and the fact he's he's got. Um, one of the guys that one of the ganglies he has to go up against has an aging disease that he constantly references to him. Hmm. And he's a, what was the one he did recently? Oh, first love. That was a love story. First love first is also love, fantastic yeah, as love. well. Um, oh, I didn't like first love. I felt first love wanted oh, really? to be this film, although I, mean, I don't know if you're going to have it in your thirties, so I don't Hopefully want to so. spoil it. But um. Yeah, there's, there's there's one particular performance in First Love that's uh, with Becky. <laughs> yes, indeed. Which is just fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> but the rest of it, I just felt was a bit... It needed some songs. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that wraps up our second Mickey recap. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button. Check out our main show, the Eastern Summer Film Club. Check out our Battle Royale... Um, 
podcast where we broke we broke down uh, Battle Royale chapter by chapter, um, as well as drawing comparisons to both the manga and the book. And um, we are going to be obviously continuing Mike Month all this month, uh, right through to the end of September. So thirty Mike movies in thirty days. Um, as for what's coming up next. I have no idea. I'm playing on a daily basis. I sort of wake up in the morning and sort of like, what do I feel like subjecting myself to today? So, I've got uh, got a few things already sort of like lined up in front of me. And um, as I say, it's just, just a case of like waking up every day and going, what do we feel like doing today? <laughs> but no, there's definitely there's more stuff from like the Outlaw period. I mean, I've got things like Visitor Q that I want to watch, uh, Bad People in China, and uh, some of the newer stuff like, you know, Lesson of Evil, and um, Blade of the Immortal, and Thirteen Assassins. I haven't done any samurai stuff yet, so maybe that'll be next up. We'll do some samurai stuff and look at happiness of kat- Katakuris, so we can do say we covered all the musicals. <laughs> um, and Over Your Dead Body is also on Amazon Prime now here in the UK oh if you do that then you'll have done all these horror do want that and one miss school I know um, <laughs> if you want to check out um, uh, the film we were just talking about for love's sake, love's sake. Um, surprisingly it's on the BFI player so I have no idea why it's on the BFI player, but... <laughs> and you're right. You can buy the Blu-ray and DVD of it in the BFI shop at, on-site. I've um, seen it there. <laughs> there it's an unusual choice, but then again, the BFI player is full of the Odysseys, like the Grand Buffet and Rabid. And um, what else have they got on there that I was really surprised? Oh, yeah, Society is on the BFI player. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not surprised about Rabid because the all the early... Cronenbergs have have uh, find their places in sort of in places like that, and, I, and, and because they're Canadian, they're probably yeah. dirt cheap to bring over. You can also but, watch um, Crash, which is uh, enjoyable. Um, yeah. It's even more fun when you meet when you see Ballard, and it's like this nice man in his tweed jacket, and he just writes horrible filth. <laughs> about the quiet riots in the the middle class, and you read Crash, and it's like his most this mixture of grotesque body horror and pornography, <laughs> and it's like this nice little old man written this. Yeah, uh, and I guess Cronenberg was the man. He to was. Make that film, and wasn't he? I think there's a couple of cinemas in London where it's still banned. Yeah. Really. Um. It's a, in case it accidentally gets through, yeah, just in case it comes back through again, they're they're really sort of strapping it in. Um, but then again, they were sort of like the fact that the devils were shown uncut by by um, Channel Four like many years ago, and the Warner Brothers archives will refuse to show the uncut print now. Uh, they won't even like allow it out for like you know special showings or anything like this. They're really locked in. Uh, with the rights, because Mark Commode's in a big oh. battle with them. So, you can buy The Devil's Uncut, but it's basically some guy who's taped it off the TV. And it's now Mark bootlegging it onto DVDs. It's a real shocking quality. Yeah, that's like, that's like all those Doctor Who Lost episodes are like that. I didn't realise Ken Russell suffered the same thing. <laughs> so, but no. Um, as I said, we're ploughing ahead. We're, we're going good. We're ten down. 
got 20 to go. Um, we're also raising money for Motor Meltdown Family Centre, so uh, if you would like to donate and toss a buck in the donation jar, it'd be very appreciated. Our uh, donation goal at the moment, we're at 40%, we're aiming to raise 100 and hopefully surpass that by the end of the month. Um, we'll put the link on our Twitter, we've got it on Facebook, we've got Instagram, and we'll have it on the episode description as well. Just go to the Just Giving page and uh, you can donate through there as well. But... Until next time, thank you for listening and thank you to my co-host Stephen. Pleasure as always, sir. And uh, we'll be back next week with another Mickey recap. But until then, good night. <laughs>